need this information. So are we ready back there? All the recordings and all that. So Lord, we just lift up this time as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. Lord, we agree together. We thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you for the powerful move of the Holy Spirit here tonight. Lord, we thank you for praise and worship. We thank you for your presence. But Lord, we need the word of God so desperately. And we thank you for your word. Where will we be today without the word? The greatest warning of the end times is deception. And the only safeguard against deception is the word of God. That's it. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. And, Lord, we ask you tonight as you speak through me under a mighty anointing, everything that needs to be spoken tonight, Lord, that it will go out as living seeds, that even right now, everybody that's going to be hearing this, Lord, that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us to give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that our minds will be locked in and focused on what are you saying. We're not going to be distracted, but our minds are focused, Lord, that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit moving upon us, all of our eyes and ears, the Holy Spirit would give us eyes and ears of the Spirit and good soil of hearts. It's like Jesus taught the parable of the seed and the sower. Speak to me, Lord, living seeds of truth that will land in good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let your wind of your Spirit carry this out among the nations, Lord, that it will get where it needs to and accomplish what it needs to do. Let your word, Lord, be light shining in dark places and dispel the darkness. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let it be a sword that penetrates and a mighty hammer that breaks through every stronghold, every religious tradition of man, everything that's not of God, it will break and plow through that. And though we stand on the promise, your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we know the Bible says the birds of the air, speaking of the demonic, try to steal the seed. So all of us agree together. We submit this unto you, Lord. We resist the devil. We bind up in the name of Jesus. Anything right now that would try to hinder, distract, oppress, resist this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to, accomplishing what it's supposed to do, we as a collective body, we bind you in Jesus' name. We command you to back off right now. And Lord, let your angels just clear that out. All oppressive things that this will go forth and accomplish. What do you send it for to do? We thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it. If two agree on earth is touching anything, it's done. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. All right, so as we get into this tonight, we're on part 10. And we've been taking our time with Revelation. Last week we talked about, in part 9, we talked about the scroll, which was the title deed to the earth. And so I don't have time to go back over that. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to talk about the seven seals that are on the scroll, okay? So just remember this as we get into Rome more, and this, it's syn synonymous with Babylon. So as you read this, there's a spiritual kingdom that is going to emerge that the Antichrist is over, and it's already in the works. You can see it right now in the earth. And there will be ten provinces that are key to him, but it's kind of like a revived Rome and it also is referred to as Babylon in Revelation. And so just remember this because in the days of Rome, Rome had, remember there was on that statue, there was the legs of iron. Rome had two legs. It had the western leg, which is Europe as we know it. And then it had the eastern leg, which had to do with modern day Turkey, down the Middle East, and even into parts of Africa. Okay, so there was two different sides of the Roman kingdom. And it was later called the Byzantine Empire in the, in the east, but it was, it was the Rome, and that's why Paul spent so much time in what he called Asia at that time, which is today Turkey. That's where all those churches were planted. Ephesus, all of them, Galatia, the ones that are mentioned here. All these churches were in that province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, which is the eastern, it was the capital area of the eastern branch of Rome. So please keep that in mind because as we study, this is why I'm sharing that. Why, why are you making it such a point? Well, because out of um, the one-world government that's coming, just keep that in mind because a lot of people talk about the European Union and Europe uniting and the old Roman, that's exact, they're exactly right. But you have to understand that there's also an Eastern branch to this that's going to be very Middle Eastern. Does that make sense? Okay. 
So it will not just be a unified Europe. It's going to be bigger than that. And there's going to be 10 provinces. And it's quite possible, I'll deal with this more later, but it's going to be quite possible that modern-day Iraq, which is, you got to understand that part of the world. It's, it's, biblically speaking, it's a place of great rebellion because that was where the Garden of Eden once was. And that was where the Tower of Babel was built. And from there, people scattered. And, and now, it, later it became Babylon. It was named that out of Babel, Tower of Babel. But, you know, today it's called Iraq, but that landscape there is a place of great rebellion. And since Saddam Hussein was brought down, it was kind of leveled. There's almost zero Christianity there now. And there's a lot of what Saddam Hussein was trying to do was he was trying to rebuild Babylon. And he was so fascinated with it, like being some kind of a dictator. Um, apparently, Saddam was quite the narcissist, okay? But he had a coin that had his face on one side, and on the other side of the coin, it actually had Nebuchadnezzar. And he was trying to rebuild ancient Babylon. So don't be surprised in the days to come if it's possible, this is just a possibility, that the Antichrist actually will reign out of that landmass there, what's called Iraq today, but out of Babylon. It's possible. And then from there, you'll have the, the Western European over that branch, and then you'll have the Middle East, Far East, you'll be like a Eastern branch. So anyway, that's kind of ahead of myself because we'll get there. But I just want you to remember that because people talk so much about the unification of Europe, but it's bigger than just that. The old Roman Empire was also Eastern. So the seven seals, I'm going to talk about this tonight, and I'm going to try to move pretty quickly, so follow along. In my opinion, there's different views of the seals. Some people believe exactly like I do, and this is just my opinion. Others believe that the seals will be popped after the tribulation starts, and they very well could be right. I'm not making like some emphatic doctrine about the exact timing and just really uh, saying that it has to be this way. I'm not saying that. I'm just going to kind of present my opinion about it. But nonetheless, we're going to look at the seals. So when Jesus was given the scroll, there was none found worthy that could open it. Remember that? And he began to pop the seals. There were seven seals. And as he did, incredible things began to happen on the earth. So when you understand the scroll from last week, that it's the title deed to the earth, what the first Adam lost and Jesus as the last Adam is reclaiming, it makes sense as to the great shaking that's going on in the earth. Remember how Paul said all the creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. So there is something in nature, something in the earth that's groaning. Because when Adam sinned, there was a curse that came on the earth. So here's the seven seals. I'm going to read it, and then I'm just going to give you some views, give you my opinion, but just give you some views about it. Number one is Revelation chapter 6, starting with verse 1. If you want to follow along, let's read it together. He said, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, I heard one of the four living creatures, remember that's the cherubim around the, the four living creatures around the throne, saying as with a loud voice of thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given him. He went out conquering and to conquer. So that's pretty commonly understood to be the Antichrist, okay? But look this way for just a moment. I think that something just to look at, this is just my opinion, and I'm not the only one who has this opinion, but it is my personal opinion. When you read the, the next several seals, they're spiritual. So let me give you an example. He broke the second seal, there was a rider on a red horse. And then he broke the, the third seal, and there was a, a rider on a black horse, and then one on a pale horse. So how many would agree that those are spiritual beings? In other words, CNN and MSNBC and Fox are not going to be like literally filming some guy riding on a red horse going through there okay so these are spiritual beings right okay so with that said as you read this in context 
many many people say well it's it's the physical man the antichrist and yes it is but here's what i feel about this personally i believe that most likely this seal has already been broken and i believe it is the release of the spirit of antichrist that will manifest with the physical man antichrist coming to power does that make sense so I, just like you see the other writers on the horse are spiritual beings, I believe this is a spiritual being. And I believe what it's saying here is that in the last days, the Antichrist spirit will be strong. Even in America, where we have a Judeo-Christian heritage, I mean, our entire nation was founded in 1605. The pilgrims came here fleeing Queen Elizabeth here for freedom of religion to be able to worship Jesus Christ in freedom. They came here as missionaries. And they were winning, trying to win the natives to the Lord. And, and you know, the Mayflower Compact, every, uh, Compact was everything about it was to glorify Christ and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And, and even in 1776, when we became, uh, you know, signing the Declaration of Independence and declare our independence from Britain, there was a God-fearing, a God-honoring thing. And our nation is always, even the first thing in, in schools that was read is the Bible. But in these latter days, that Antichrist spirit is so pervasive and so strong that it's trying to squeeze any semblance of Christ out of our culture. That even to where somebody will get offended, some cross off in a distance will so offend some atheist that they've got to go out of their way to file some kind of a lawsuit to tear it down. Friend, it's just an Antichrist spirit. And the Bible says in 1 John, he said, there are many antichrists that will come. And there are. There have been many that have been very antichrist. But we know that there's going to eventually be a man of sin, the son of perdition, who will emerge and he will be the actual antichrist that we read about. But still, there is a spirit of antichrist that has been around for a very, very long time. In fact, the Apostle John wrote about it in 1 John. He said, in that day, he said, the Antichrist spirit is on the loose. The Antichrist spirit is moving in the earth. But see, I believe when Jesus popped this seal, whenever this happened, that it released that spirit of Antichrist. And what do you see even today? I don't like to get political in my sermons, but what do you see today in politics? There's one side that is Antichrist. They hate anything to do with Jesus Christ. It's an antichrist spirit. And could it be, these are just some speculation here, could it be that Jesus has popped this seal and the antichrist spirit is already on the move? Could it be, I'm just speculating here, but when this seal was popped, whenever it happened, could it be that maybe that was when the, the physical antichrist was born or conceived? Or something significant about his life as maybe a very young man that something came upon him to, to eventually do what he was going to do. Does that make sense? Like when that seal popped, maybe something significant happened with him as an individual. And my personal opinion is that I think that the seals will probably, are already being popped honestly, but I think that they will probably be popped before the tribulation time that's just my feeling about it and I believe it's more connected with the beginning of sorrows the birth pangs that Jesus talked about and I'll show you some of this some believe that once the tribulation starts that then the seals will be popped and one one individual I don't want to get too argumentative about that it really whatever it's all going to pan out okay but one individual said well you know we have to be there for it to start and he gave kind of an old roman custom but you can't base doctrine on an old roman custom or an old greek custom or an old american custom you can't do that but anyway look let's look at the word of god and just see and i'll present it to you and then we can all just make up our mind about what we want to believe about that but i believe that the seals are probably being popped today and that's why things are shaking in the earth like they are so matthew according to this first seal this has to do with the Antichrist. The rider on the white horse is like a counterfeit Jesus Christ. 
It's like a false Messiah spirit. You know, I remember, I don't want to belabor this too much, but do you remember when our previous president, Barack Obama, came into power? And it was the weirdest thing I would have never thought in my lifetime, ever, to hear people saying some of the things they said. But they were referring to him like Lord and Savior. They were referring to him as some kind of a Messiah. They were, and they used those words. I couldn't believe it. But see, you're dealing with this spirit. It's an Antichrist spirit that's trying to bring forth some kind of a false Messiah in the earth. Not that he's that, because I don't believe he is, but I'm just making a point. It was weird. See, it's like a strange, deluding type spirit there. So regarding the Antichrist spirit and the emergence of this false Messiah, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. So if you take the seals and then you look at Matthew 24 at the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs, they seem to line up pretty good. Number one, Matthew 24, 4 says, see to it that no one deceives you. Now, let me tell you, that, along with several other scriptures, state that in the latter days, there's going to be great deception. There's going to be doctrines of demons. There's going to be false, seducing-type spirits. There's going to be great deception. The only safeguard to deception will be that you're anchored in the Word of God. That's it. And people that are not anchored in the Word will probably be deceived. What does Thessalonians say? Because they did not love the truth, they were given over to a deluding spirit to believe a lie. They didn't love the truth of God's word. So see to it that no one deceives you. So you see great deception. In Matthew 24, verse 9, he said, Then they will deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Well, that's great persecution, isn't it? So what is an antichrist spirit also? Not only counterfeit Christ, not only great deception, but it's also great persecution against believers. And so we're seeing in our day a rise of persecution. Even in America, we're seeing that people of faith are being targeted. And it's especially coming from different groups, like the homosexual community is one. But you're seeing here this Antichrist spirit. So is this making sense tonight? All right. Then the second seal. Jesus pops the second seal. And in the second seal, he said, I heard a second living creature say, come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on this red horse was granted to take peace from the earth, that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given him. Isn't that interesting? Did you know I was looking over one time a history book? And it was interesting to me because as I was looking over this history book, it got into the 20th century. Are y'all listening? It got to the 20th century, and here's what it said, a century of war. You had World War One, World War Two, etc., all the different... You know, it's like the climax of all these various wars and so much bloodshed. And you can't help but think about this rider on the red horse. It makes you wonder about communism. How many people have been murdered through communism? But when you think of red, you think of the, the Chinese flag. You kind of think some of, of maybe Russia and you think about communism. And you also can't help but think about Islam. How many people has Islam slaughtered? And isn't it interesting that in the Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which may be very close on the horizon, that communist Russia and the Islamic nations like Iran will, and Turkey is becoming that, will come together to come down on Israel. Isn't that interesting? And God will defeat them. So the second seal has to do with great war and bloodshed. And what does the Bible say at the beginning of sorrows? Matthew 24, 6. Jesus said, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, and that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. Now remember in the Greek, that's ethnic group against ethnic group. So it's racism. Nation against nation. 
and kingdom against kingdom. That's kingdom conflicts. So it, it has to do with a lot of war. And I believe personally that we are already seeing and have been seeing the Antichrist spirit on the loose. And I believe that we've been seeing great wars and bloodshed already. And then he gave the third seal. The third seal popped. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. So you guys ever seen like a justice and it has the, the scales like that? And he said, he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quarter wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. So you know what that's saying? A denarius would have been like a day's wage. What it's saying here is that there's going to be famine. And that it would be such that it would take an entire day's wage just to feed the family. That's what it's saying. And it said, do not damage the oil and the wine, which is interesting. And I'm going to explain that here in a moment. Matthew 24, 7. So now looking at the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs. These, these are, by the way, the beginning of sorrows are pre-tribulation events. Look how it connects to famines. It says in Matthew 24, verse 7, And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are, are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Now I'm going to give you something kind of deep. And I'll let you just read over this on your own time, but I'm just going to kind of go pretty quickly through it. But the Hebrew word for word, I'm talking about our English word, W-O-R-D. Okay, the Hebrew word for that is debar. And debar, interestingly enough, not only means word, but it also means like a honeybee. So Deborah, the prophetess, her name was derived from the root word debar. And so Deborah, her name meant like word, like the word of the Lord, you know, a word, but it also meant like a honeybee. So let me give you a few interesting things. Some Bible scholars kind of put this together, and I found this to be very interesting. So in the days of Abraham and Isaac, there was a, a great famine in the days of Isaac. Remember that? And, of course, in Acts, there was a famine. So let me just read through these notes. There was a significant famine during Abraham, Isaac, and also in the days of Joseph. Remember, in the days of Joseph, a great famine. But yet, it's God's people will be blessed and protected during the time of famine. This could very well be a pre-rapture event. And we're already seeing famines in our day, just by the way. There are places that are starving. And just here recently, it was quite interesting, there was a plague of locusts that were so massive that swept through Africa that it left Africa in ruins in their economy and in all of their farming. And literally, behind it was a famine. And it was such a massive move of locusts, such a massive uh, swarm of it, that they were talking about how India could be affected. I don't know how much it was. And even over in the Southeast Asia could be affected. And the news were saying it was like of biblical proportions. <laughs> so there's going to be these events in these latter days different things that produce famine and as it said before the second seal of war after bloody wars many times there's economic ruin and famine behind it okay but let me just read through these isaac's blessing to jacob was the dew the grain the wine the goodness of the lord is connected to the wheat wine and the oil and so you can read some scriptures here. It speaks of us, God being providing for his people during the famine. Remember that in Elijah's day, there was a famine, but Elijah was protected. Remember, he was there at the brook Cherubi, drank of the water, the ravens fed him. I would have liked to have seen that. And, and not only that, but how in the world. So we're living, that day was a day of great famine. So the ravens brought the guy meat. Well, you know, 
You could think they'd go out in the wilderness and they'd find a rabbit or something. But where did they get like the bread or whatever, you know? But they were bringing him this so he could eat and he would have water to drink. But Elijah was also sent to a woman in Zarephath that she was a widow and God provided for her too during the time of famine. So Revelation 6, 5, the rider on the black horse with scales, it talks about not damaging the oil and the wine. And this is a saying that a day's wage would go entirely to feed a family. And so the honeybee is kind of like the canary in the mine shaft, if you're familiar with that terminology. So let me just get into this about the connection between the word of the Lord and the honeybee because it's kind of deep. But there was an article that stated that approximately one-third of the human diet is from food pollinated. So one-third of our diet goes back to the honeybee. One-third, estimated. If the honeybee dies off, it could be that we would be on more of a grain and water diet pretty quickly. Beekeepers say that their colonies are dying and some of them just disappearing. And there's speculation. They're wondering, is it some kind of like a mysterious virus or some kind of a disease? And there are actually entomologists in Israel that are trying to help resolve this and really studying this out. What's happening to the honeybee? But here's the interesting thing. So the grains, like wheat and barley, the grains are not affected by the honeybees. How are grains pollinated by the wind blowing? So the grains don't really need the honeybee. But, you know, various fruits and nuts and things like that would be. But here's another thing. The olive trees and the grapevines are also not pollinated by the bees. The wind also pollinates them. So isn't it interesting that whenever it said it would take a day's wage to feed a family, it was referring to grain, it said, and don't hurt the oil and the wine. So you have grain, oil, and wine, and none of those are affected if the honeybee disappears. Does that make sense? So there are Bible scholars that have studied this and came to the conclusion that it, this famine in particular that's being referred to here could have something to do with the honeybees. And just like in Deuteronomy 8.3, you remember the story where Israel went hungry and they cried out to God and God gave them manna from heaven. He provided for them in time of hunger. But this is what God said. He said in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 that I allowed you to be hungry and I humbled you. That you would learn that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth. And so there was a humbling through hunger and there was a crying out to God. So again, the word debar in Hebrew is the word for word, W-O-R-D, but it's also the word for honeybee. And just kind of bringing this together, Amos 8, 11 through 12, there is, it talks about a spiritual famine. And we know also that honeybees and honey speak of like the honey rather speaks of the promises of God. So just kind of bringing this to a close, it's kind of a play on he the Hebrew word. This may not be the best example, but just off the top of my head, those that know English would understand if I was telling you to read in the Bible where Jesus is letter, you know, in the Bible where what Jesus said is in red. And I made some kind of play on words about how I read the red you would kind of get the reference. Whereas a foreigner that didn't know English would just be looking at me like, that makes no sense at all, you know. Well, in this case, this word debar means word and also be. And so it's almost like there's something here where there's a famine in the land of the spiritual, the word of God, but there's also a famine in the natural, possibly because of the absence of the honeybee. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's Bible scholars that have really looked into that, and they felt that that has some credence. And when you look at today, I'm going to finish this section with this. There are places for the last little while, the Bible says there would come a day when people would not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear God's word. 
they would not endure sound doctrine. But rather, they would gather unto themselves teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And we're living in that day. So there are places out there that because the focus is so seeker-friendly minded, that the focus is way too far on what man thinks, what's going to make man happy. It's too much that way that consequently there's only certain things that will be preached it's like the word of god is being watered down and it's messed with well in the same way the re some have speculated with the honeybee that they've noticed as they've studied this that the bees that are out in the wild seem to be doing okay it's the ones that are messing with our crops and they've wondered is it because man is messing with all these chemicals and other things that it is affecting the bee? So listen to what I'm saying. This is really interesting. And so just like man is trying to, for financial gain, trying to bring a mixture into the crops of all these chemicals and things that are not natural so that they can get financial gain, it's producing the honeybee possibly dying off, which will actually hurt a lot of harvest. And over here, in the spiritual, you have the word of God being messed with, and there's a mixture, and it's, it's defiling, so to speak, the people, because it's like this mixture of watered down and, and focused on the wrong things, and it's producing a spiritual famine in the land. And why is it done? I hate to say it, but I really believe the reason why the word of God is being presented the way that it is like a mixture and just telling people what they want to hear is for financial gain. Isn't that interesting? It's like the two are paralleling in these latter days. You have the harvest is being messed with over here for financial gain. It's causing a, a spiritual famine of the word of God. And over here in the natural, it's affecting things as well, possibly a famine. So... We know regardless of all of that, that there's going to be the rider on the black horse has to do with famine in the land, okay? All right, so then you have the fourth seal. And this has to do with death. When the lamb broke the fourth seal. And let me say something before I get into that because of the situation with a lot of um, alcohol and all this. So... In biblical times, and this isn't just in Israel's history, you can study this out, it's pretty common knowledge. So in the Bible, though, it talks about the word wine is used for the grapes actually on the vine. I don't know if everybody knew that or not. And it's referred to as grape juice, etc., which you know that whenever you get grape juice, that over time, as it gets older, it can ferment. And in the Bible... The new and old wine, most likely the new wine is what we would call grape juice today. And the old wine would be fermented and it was not preferred. And not only that, but historically, this is a fact and it's not just a fact biblically like some kind of a spiritual study. You can look this up in actual ancient cultures like in Greece. That they would mix water with the fruit of the vine there and water it down with their meals. And people were viewed that were drunkards or whatever. They were viewed like barbarians, like uneducated people, gluttons. And it was looked down upon by society. And so anyway, just so you all know that little tidbit of history there. Because a lot of people want to justify a lot of their drunkenness. But the Bible does not smile upon strong drink. Look it up for yourself. So whenever people quote things about Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach, they don't realize what that was is probably grape juice or at least watered down. Anyway, so the fourth seal has to do with death. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the four living creatures saying, Come, and I looked and behold a pale horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades following with him. Authority was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beast of the earth. One fourth of the earth. 
If you do the math of the amount of people alive today, that's approximately around 1.5 billion people that will die. And what does the Bible say in Matthew 24, 11? It's talking about, remember, I'm paralleling here the, the seals with the beginning of sorrows. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures, endures to the end shall be saved. So there's going to be a lot of lawlessness in these latter days, a lot of violence. And we're seeing that. I mean, we're seeing it on our streets, but it's not just in America. I mean, America's pretty calm compared to a lot of other places in the world. There's just a lot of violence. This horse here is the pale horse. And in the Greek, it almost implies something maybe like off-white or ashen or like a, a grayish-white. Somewhat like what we would, a lot of tombstones of that color. And as I looked over this, I thought about the fourth of the earth dying approximately around 1.5 billion. That's huge. So you have by the sword, that's violence. Some of that I'm sure is lawlessness. You have by famine, you have by pestilence, which is sickness, and by wild beast, which literally can be wild animals. I understand that. But I wonder if it's not a veiled reference also to the demonic realm attacking all right, and then the fifth seal. So as Jesus is popping these seals, and just remember that a lot of this is already going on in our time. There's a lot of people dying today, a lot of people, by violence, by famine, by pestilence, and these other means that it mentioned. And then, of course, the fifth seal, martyrs. And there's a lot of martyrdom today. It's estimated by people like the voice of the martyrs and those that's looked into this, it's estimated over the last hundred years, more people have died as martyrs than the previous 1900 years. There's great martyrdom, especially in places like the Middle East. And think about China, all the different places where people are being martyred for their faith. So when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest just a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So great martyrdom. I remember, you know, just because it's more public, but you ought to look at the voice of the martyrs and begin to look at this. And there's Fox's Book of Martyrs that was written. Martyrdom's been going on. And, you know, in the last several years, how many remember ISIS emerging in the Middle East and all the martyrs that, that were killed through um, what they were doing, the violence of Islam? And so... This will continue. Martyrdom will continue. It's going to continue into the tribulation time, actually. The, especially the first three and a half years, people that really accept the Lord or, or are left behind to be here, they are really going to get right with God because the rapture happens. They realize the seri seriousness of the times, and there's going to be kind of a revival of repentance. But they're going to refuse to take the mark of the beast, aren't they? And so therefore, many of them will be hunted down and killed because of them. So martyrdom is already here now, and it's going to keep increasing. And remember that I talked about, I believe it was last week or the week before, but I talked about the various harvest. The barley harvest is like a gentle harvest that is tossed up in the air that has to do with the rapture. And then we talked about the wheat harvest, which had to be crushed. And those are the tribulation saints. Those that didn't repent and get right before the rapture. So that's the fifth seal, great martyrdom. And then the sixth seal. We're already seeing some crazy things and have been for some time. You know, let me say this, though. You know, I was, I was thinking as I was doing this um, study to preach, I was thinking about how Jesus said about, 
as in the days of Noah and as in the days of Lot. You know, there's a lot to that, but he specifically said they were eating and drinking and partying basically and being given into marriage. And what was happening? It's like they had no idea that sudden destruction was about to come. They were just going on like nothing has changed. No, no eyes to see, no ears to hear, just, you know, and I was thinking about the day and age that we're living. There's people that are very educated in the body of Christ that have been studying different phenomenon. I mean, people like L.A. Marzulli, and I think about Tom Horn and others, and they've been doing a lot of research. It's not, today, the day that we're living is nothing like it was 50 years ago. Something significant has changed. And these that have been researching this and looking at this on a global scale have been talking about all the crazy things that's going on. In the last hundred years, this is a, a secular study, earthquakes have been increasing in frequency and severity. And that's a secular study. Look it up for yourself. Earthquakes have been increasing. There's all kinds of weird phenomenon that's been going on for the last several decades. I mean, there's things where water has turned to colors and, or to blood red. There's, there's things where huge amounts of fish have died and come up, and they don't, they're not sure why. All these birds have just fallen out of the sky dead. They don't know why. There's strange noises that are being heard in the skies are being recorded, and people really don't know what it is. And there may be some logical explanation, but there's so many different things going on. Look at the geopolitical realm. The world's trying to become a one-world system. It's being pushed. There's talk and has been of a one-world currency. So it's not just like everything is normal. Things are changing. Weird things are happening. It's like, in my opinion, these seals are being popped and all this stuff is stirring and happening in the earth and the world just goes on like nothing is happening. They have no eyes to see, no ears to hear. And sadly, even parts of the body of Christ are totally clueless. But the sixth seal has to do with terror because of natural disasters. In verse 12, it says, I looked and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. Everybody say great earthquake. Well, when you have an earthquake that bad, it can produce, the effects of it can affect like volcanic activity. It can also even affect things like causing tsunamis, etc. And it releases widespread devastation in regions to where the result could be famine. And when people lose everything, they get lawless and they get violent. You see what I'm saying? It all kind of works together with the other seals here. But there was a great earthquake and it said this, it said the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars fell from, from the sky uh, on the earth and like figs cast its unripe, or rather a fig tree cast its unripe fi figs when shaken by a great wind and the sky split apart like a scroll was rolled up and every mountain and island removed. I mean, this was a massive earthquake, but here's what happened. It somehow caused volcanic activity because when volcanoes erupt here's what's going to happen and how many of remember this was a long time ago but old enough to remember like mount st helens and things like that yeah so when volcanoes erupt what happens all that ash goes up and here's what happens it looks like the sun is darkened it looks like the sky is rolled back and the moon will look like a blood red color do you see and so this is something where a great earthquake is so massive that it actually is going to affect and cause volcanic activity. And um, it says this in verse 15, that the kings of the earth, now who are the kings? These are leaders like presidents, prime ministers, rulers. The kings of the earth and great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. You know, 
the hiding in caves. Did you know even right now today, you can look this up, there has been a movement where wealthy people are trying to have like bunkers and ways of hiding in the caves. Isn't that interesting? And then we know in Joel 2.28, there's a connection here Then Joel 2.28, he prophesied it will come about after this and talking about the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. And this is happening in our day. We've been singing outpouring in dreams and visions and even the outpouring of visions to the degree that many Muslims that are in countries where it's difficult for missionaries to get to them because they'll be martyred, that the Lord and his mercy has been given some of them dreams and visions of Jesus Christ and they're coming to the faith through that. So there's an outpouring of the spirit. There's an outpouring of dreams and visions. He said, even on my male and female servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders. Look at this. In the sky, on the earth, look at this. Blood, fire, columns of smoke. What does that sound like? Volcanic activity. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered uh, from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. There will be those that escape. You guys remember now that Joel is prophesying to Israel. So you remember the difference between prophecies to the church and to Israel, right? And so as it says here that in those days, it said there will be those that will escape. What it's referring to is that there will be this activity like volcanic activity. Remember how the Antichrist will sit in the temple. Israel will refuse to worship and he will release his army against them and slaughter two-thirds of them. Look at this. Joel says, for on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those that escape. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So there will be a remnant, and Revelation talks about this, of Jews that will be supernaturally protected in those days from death because there has to be a remnant of Jews alive when Jesus comes. There has to be. So God will preserve them. I believe that some of these things back in 2014 and 15, the blood moons that happened on Passover and Tabernacles, the, sol the solar eclipse that happened, I believe all of that was like prophetic signs in the heavens that the Lord's coming is near. And there have been major earthquakes and there have been talk of volcanic activity. And if I remember right, and I could be wrong, and I'm sorry if I am, but I believe the Philippines just saw volcanic activity not too long ago. There's going to be natural disasters. And these things are happening now, but they're going to continue to happen. So the seals, in my opinion, are probably already being popped. And they're connected to the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs. As Jesus has had the scroll, I don't know how long he's had it. Maybe he had it back when John wrote Revelation and saw it handed to him. Maybe that's when he got the scroll. But in the last days, Jesus is popping those seals. And I believe it's already happening in my opinion. In Revelation 7, 1, let's move quickly now and close this out. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And remember that four always speaks of the earth, the number four. Holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind blew upon the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And so I know that this refers directly to the 144,000, but you know, even in our day, the Lord is moving upon the bride, and there is an anointing. You know, isn't it interesting? It talks about the oil poured over Aaron's head, running down his beard. I believe that God is anointing his bride and sealing us in these latter days to catch us away in the air. I believe that. But this is a specific seal that is for the 144,000. But let me just read this. So four associated with the earth. There are four major, major means of power down through the ages in ancient times whoever had the greatest military ruled the world 
later in the Grecian culture especially became more like education remember the days of philosophy and all that it eventually moved more to political during the dark ages Roman Catholicism had political power over even the kings and they ruled through politics and finally in the latter days it seems like the economy as the saying goes he who has the gold makes the rules and so we're living in a time where finances seem to have a lot to do with the way things turn out doesn't it so there have been four major areas of power down through the ages not that it's exclusive to that but it seemed to be emphasized in those days so let's look at the 144,000 who were going to be sealed so when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and the church was born it was the Jewish people remember that it wasn't until later that God spoke to Peter and he went to Cornelius's house and then from that point the gospel began to go to the Gentile nations but it was the early church was the Jewish people and so it will be at the very very end those that are the primary preachers of the gospel will be the Jewish people again look at this and I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel it says specifically who they are of the sons of Israel and he mentions Judah and then Reuben etc goes through all the tribes you can read it and so the 144,000 are going to be incredibly powerful evangelists that are Jewish especially during the first half of the tribulation time this seal on their head from God by angels will probably be like a special anointing that's going to protect them from deception and from satanic attack during that time because it's going to be very thick darkness in the earth and they need their minds to be sealed by God to be protected this is a Jewish remnant not unlike in the days of Elijah when Elijah felt so alone and he cried out to God and God said Elijah I still have 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee not unlike in the days of Peter do you remember back before that obviously in the days of Moses when the golden calf how many died 3,000 then on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached how many were saved in a day 3,000 so there was a remnant God's always had a remnant and it seems like there's going to be hundred and forty four thousand that are specifically a Jewish remnant that God has that he is going to call them unto him they're going to know Jesus they're going to be sealed by God and they're going to be used very powerfully to evangelize for Jesus and you and somebody asked well why is the nation of Dan not mentioned in 1st Kings 12 25 through 30 Dan became given uh, yeah became it was given over to idolatry and became apostate and that's why Dan is not mentioned here even today in the northern part of Israel that's where there's so much atheism and all that there, but anyway and let me just mention this before I close this sermon out be very careful about the people out there that feel that they are the sole holders of truth how many knows that all over the world of every ethnicity in all kinds of religious backgrounds everybody that is born again born again not religious born again is our brother and sister in Christ amen okay well there are groups out there that truly feel that they are the 144,000 oh yeah and they believe that they are the sole holders of truth and if you don't go to their church or whatnot you are not going to heaven when you die so that's very cultish be careful because I love the Hebrew roots very much it's a big theme in our ministry actually but even among some of the messianic even though many of them are wonderful but even among that group there are some that are very cultish and they feel that the body of Christ is basically Babylon or Rome and it's it's apostate and they themselves their little group over here is the sole holders of of purity and truth you know friend listen that's arrogant and it is very cultish 
be careful with that, okay? All right. And then as we read on in verse 9, a multitude from the tribulation, and these thing, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. That sounds like tabernacles, doesn't it? The lulah. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the tribulation, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So you see here that it's very clear that there's going to be a lot of martyrdom, especially in the tribulation time. You're seeing specifically mentioned right here that these are those that came out of the tribulation. They're in heaven because they were martyred. Now, some, some teach, and it may be true, some teach that this was like a rapture, that they were raptured out before the throne. You know, maybe. But nonetheless, they're there, and they had their robes washed in the blood of Jesus. They're before the throne, and they came out of the tribulation time. So it's going to be the tribulation is going to be great martyrdom. And here's how we're going to close this out. Revelation 8, 1. I'm just going to read one or two verses. As we're talking about the seven seals, it says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, seven trumpets were given them. Now, do you see that? Now, listen, the trumpet in the Bible almost always speaks of the shofar. I suspect that these are shofars. So, each was given a horn, some kind of a shofar here. Isn't it interesting that after the seals are broke, the seventh seal is broke, it sets in motion the trumpets. And the last trumpet sets in motion the bowls, which we'll get to. But isn't it interesting that the rapture happens at a shofar blast? Could this somehow be connected with the last of these seals? Toward the end of the seals, there's going to be a great shofar blast. And the dead in Christ will rise, and those alive will meet him in the air to go away with him to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I personally believe this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong. Maybe these seals will happen during the tribulation time. It's possible. But I believe that they're probably pre-tribulation they're connected to the beginning of sorrows. And I personally believe, my opinion, that they are opening in our day right now. Now, once the rapture happens and the, the bride of Christ, not everybody that goes to church, not everybody that calls themselves a Christian, just the remnant bride that has made herself ready without spot or blemish. There is a remnant in the earth that are repenting, that are walking close to the Lord. You know, they're living the true Christian life. You know, they've, they've turned from their sin. And they're going to be the wise virgins with extra oil. They're those that are people of prayer. They're pushing in to Christ. Those people are going to be caught away to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But when that happens, and understand that the marriage supper seems to be, from everything I've read, the marriage supper of the Lamb seems to be like a reward for certain people that have been overcomers. It's not just for every random person. It seems like the rapture and the marriage supper is something special. It's a reward. But anyway, 
once that happens, there's going to be this Antichrist on the earth. The Antichrist spirit has been moving all over the world. It's been moving in Islam. It's been moving in communism. It's been moving in all places of the earth in different ways. And eventually it's going to give way to the actual man of sin that will emerge. He's going to be a political figure. The, the false prophet will actually emerge before him. And he is a spiritual figure. Much like a pope. He's going to be some kind of a spiritual figure that will have world influence. All the other religions will kind of come together under him. Much like, much like a Roman Catholic Pope of that time. It could be him, actually. I don't, you know. But anyway, it's going to be somebody like that. That is a spiritual leader. That's the false prophet. But he will endorse the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be brilliant, handsome, charismatic. And he will be like a false messiah. But he will be a political figure. And he will rule primarily through diplomacy. And it will be, his message will be a message of peace. But through peace, he will destroy many. But his message will be a message of, let's have world peace. Let's all come together. Everybody lay down their arms. Everybody take a, a mark, an economic mark. We're going to have a one world currency. And he will be the darling of this sinful world. And nothing will be to restrain him at this time. The remnant bride is gone. All the powerful prayer warriors, the anointed apostolic, you know, revival type ministries that, that call people to repentance. All these people that, that really know how to pray and they know their authority in Christ. They're powerful men and women of God all over the world. Those type of people are gone. There's going to be nothing to restrain him. And so once he's able to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel... Once the Knesset signs that peace treaty with him for seven years, that right there, that moment is going to start the seven-year tribulation, which is the days of, days of Jacob's trouble. And in my opinion, this is just, as I close out, this is what it looks like. The first three and a half years are primarily going to be against Christians because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. I mean, look at the way people are acting today, and I don't want to get too political with it or anything. I'm just making a point. But look at the way people are being treated even today that simply don't want to wear a mask. Look at how they're being treated. See, it's going to be like that toward those that don't want to take a mark, except worse. And eventually, they will be hunted down and killed because they won't take it. So there's going to be great martyrdom against Christians. They're, they're, they're the ones that refuse to go along with status quo. So that's the first three and a half years. And that's, that's the time of like the wrath of the Lamb. It's, it's the time of the trumpet judgments, which we'll talk about next time we look at or Revelation. So the, the first three and a half years are the trumpet judgments. The shofar blasts. And it's going to be the wrath of Jesus, the lamb, the wrath of the lamb on the earth because of the way the earth is treating Christians. Then, three and a half years in, right in the middle, the Antichrist, who had been saying peace, 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 and all this, he's going to turn. Eventually, he's going to turn on the religious system. Because now his true colors are coming out that he wants to be worshipped as God. So this ecumenical religious, one world religious thing, he's going he's gonna to slaughter that. It's going to be destroyed. He's going to set himself in the temple in Jerusalem and have some kind of an image that can talk, some kind of an idol that can talk literally. And he's going to demand worship as God. And the Jews are going to refuse to do it. Because even though they haven't accepted Christ and they did miss the Messiah and all of that, at the same time, the Jews know enough to know that they're not to bow down to a graven image, okay? And so when they refuse to worship him, then the Antichrist is going to release his military force against the Jews. So the last three and a half years 
is going to be the slot the antichrist trying to hunt down and slaughter the jews specifically he's going to zero in on them and if you study prophecy and you know several different portions of scripture you can put it all together and see that two-thirds of the jews will die one-third will be supernaturally protected probably in petra in current times it's jordan but it may be under israel occupancy at that time but anyway there's going to be one-third that will survive but during that last three and a half years the bible calls it the great tribulation it adds the word great and these are going to be the bold judgments which we'll talk about the bold judgments are going to be so bad and what goes on in the earth will be so severe that jesus said unless those days were cut short no flesh would survive that's how bad it's going to be and those last three and a half years, the bold judgments are the wrath of God the Father because of the way that his land and the Jewish people are being treated. Does that make sense? And then when Israel is at, they have no other hope. There's only a third that have survived. And now the nations of the earth under the Antichrist, the nations, all nations, are gathering to annihilate the last remnant of the Jews and to destroy and all that, they're going to look up in desperation and cry out, God save us. And that's when Jesus is going to come. He's going to split the eastern sky riding a white horse, the true rider of the white horse, not the false one, okay, back here in the seals, but the true rider of the white horse will come and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And did you know even in this day that there is an eastern gate in Jerusalem the, on the Mount of Olives? The other gates are open, but there's this eastern gate there that is still sealed. And it says in the Bible that it will not be unsealed until it's unsealed by the Messiah. And did you know that eastern gate is right there at the Mount of Olives? Isn't that something? It's like it's being reserved for Jesus. He's going to come and get off his white horse. His feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And he's going to go right through that eastern gate into Jerusalem to sit on the throne of his father David and reign for a thousand years. And all the nations will come under his rulership. He'll be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. All right, so Lord, we thank you tonight for this teaching on the seals. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for... For a time that we're beginning to look into revelation really understand what the bible's saying and lord here we are living in the last days the coming of the lord is near it's a time for us to push in for great revival a great harvest and like daniel said in those days those that know their god will arise and do great exploits lord let us be among those that will do great exploits lord as we occupy till you come to really be salt and light and be used mightily of you in these latter days. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, just shut down recordings back there. And listen, before we move the chairs, I just want to say, I'm going to pray for people tonight for impartation. But I want people to feel comfortable with end time prophecy.